Good morning, everybody. How are you? I want to just share two things before we get started this morning. The first, I was talking to uh, Larry and Kathy and Mike and Brenda, and uh, yesterday, my boys were to go help Hay at somebody's house, and so I ended up going with them, and uh, when you don't do that work every day, and you're, and you're middle-aged, your joints and your body fill it, so my confession today is we will need a healing line afterwards, and uh, last night is... I was getting Charlie horses in my body. I went, dear Jesus, bless all the farmers in the world. Ah, the second thing I want to confess is that we had been sharing in a series, the once a month that we were coming here, we'd been sharing out of Acts 2, 42 through 48, and what I was supposed to share on today was we were going to talk about kind of the genetic, spiritual genetic makeup of the gospel. What are the parts of the gospel that need to be in the gospel? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God unto salvation. And so if our gospel is not powerful, we've got to find out what ingredients are not in the recipe that causes it to be powerless instead of powerful. But this morning, I think it was probably about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was sharing a different message. And uh, at the end, I told the person after sharing that message, I said, well, that wasn't the message that I was going to share. And they said, yes, it is the message you're supposed to share. And so um, hang on with me, but I'm going to just share a message out of the book of Judges. And I felt like that dream was the Lord trying to tell me to shift, to go in a different direction. So next time when we come, we'll get back to what are the essential elements of the gospel. But uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I know I told the tech people, Judges 6, 11, but I want to go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians 12, 10. And I do believe that I have a clue, a Holy Spirit clue, of why the Lord is wanting this message uh, to be shared. And it was something that Eric and Tom and I, we had a discussion this last week, and we, we were just saying that, you know, God can give strategy and vision, and that's really one of the, the purposes of leadership, is to try to to see where God is wanting the body of Christ to go, and then also God give us the wisdom on how to get there. But I have found that even with some of the, the most powerful vision, something that's inspired, something that, that truly creates expectation, excitement, anticipation, where people, the people of God will, will sense that this has come from heaven, and he's bringing invitation to them to engage with him and partner with him. That is fantastic. And then when God gives wisdom and insight to make a... Because whenever you connect with a heavenly vision, it goes beyond anything in the capacity of men to do it. As a matter of fact, you've heard it said that if you have a vision that 
you have all of the talent and the ability and skills to fulfill, more than likely it's not a heavenly vision. Because I have never seen God do a God thing that it was something that men could fulfill in their own human strength, their own mind, uh, own intelligence, their own thoughts. And so one of the, the things that you immediately know is that just like Isaiah, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his train is filling the temple, he just, there is that immediate understanding of the magnificence of God, but also the insignificance of his humanity. And he said, woe is me, I'm undone. I mean, I, I may have thought I was something before this encounter, before this experience, but I, I just see there's no comparison, there's no perspective that we have until we see who God is in his majesty and glory. Well, it's, a, it's the same thing with the heavenly visions of God. God gives plans to men and it causes men to be minimized in their strength to where God can be glorified. And so God can even give wisdom to make difficult task or vision easier because of God's wisdom and God's faith and God's power that allows a difficult and impossible thing to become possible. But I do know that you can have vision, strategy, wisdom, all those things. But the thing that must be contended for, and I believe that is the bottom line in bringing to pass the purpose of God, is the demonstration of the power of God. And, and God is willing to wait on us. He really is. Until we become so desperate that we say, Okay, God, whatever it takes for me to be get, get into the right position and to learn how to partner with you and cultivate my heart in the right way where you can use me to do what you want. I heard one man of God uh, say that he had an encounter with the Lord and he said the Lord woke him up in the middle of the night pounding on his chest saying, when will you let me do through you what I want to do. And he said that he was startled because, you know, whether it was in the natural or in the spiritual or a combination of both, he said he literally felt this pounding on his chest where God was trying to get the message across to him. And he said he heard the voice of the Lord and said, when will you let me do through you what I want to do through you? And so I realize that most of God's people here this morning are in a wrestling match with the Lord. <laughs> Where he's wrestling with us and trying to get us into the place and the position to where we will partner with him to allow him to be God in our lives. And, and if that's not you, then just wait. It's only a matter of time where you feel that pressure and you feel that contending that the Lord has with his people where he wrestles with us to try to make us what he wants us to be. But I feel that almost on a daily basis where God is trying to wrestle with me and getting me in that right place. And whenever you um, then begin to understand that, you know, it's going to be not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so I've got to get into this place and if america is going to have a revival and transformation revival is going to be a conduit for transformation but if we're going to see real 
wholesale cultural transformation. It will be when there is this undeniable expression of the power of God. And the power of God does two things. It either hardens you quickly or you yield and bow. And our country has not witnessed a visible demonstration. I'm talking about of acts-like demonstration since probably the 50s and 60s. And there has been levels of the supernatural. But I'm saying, God, I believe in the 1950s, visited our country in such a powerful way that it shook our country. And it was interesting that there was this movement of signs and wonders and miracles, just like it was in the book of Acts, with this evangelistic message. And there was this Billy Graham stream, and he preached the evangelistic message, but right partnering with that was men like Oral Roberts and Bill Branham and, and some of those men who became pioneers. And it's amazing in supernatural ministry, and it's amazing how all of them had a testimony, how God wrestled them into a position where they became vulnerable to be used. And I encourage you to get books like God's Generals. How many of you have read that book and read that text? Uh, Roberts Laird and wrote and chronicled where he picked out certain people that God had used in supernatural signs and wonders. And it, there is this pattern, and I guess that's a point that I want to get to, there is this pattern of God. Miracles are done out of a relationship with men and women. God engaging them in relationship. But I also know, so I'm not trying to teach on the miraculous today to say, follow these five steps, that miracles are based out of principles. But I will say this, miracles are always as a result of a relationship with a man or a woman that God has gotten into a position. But to get them into position, it's amazing that God uses the same pattern. Now, there may be a small variation, but there are patterns in how God produces miracles. And He'll do it through the relationship, ultimately with an individual. But there are patterns that are at work. And when I share these patterns of the miraculous, what I want you to do is I want you to be able to recognize, recognize those patterns in your own life so that you can learn to cooperate with what God is doing. You know, the Bible says that Israel knew God's actions, His works, the works of His hands, but Moses was one who learned and studied the ways of God. And that means that what was behind the hand, connecting the hand to the heart. God understood the intention of God's heart in why God did things or what He was doing uh, in behind those actions. And I feel like when we begin to study the patterns and the ways of God, the way God works miracles, we begin to be a student of the heart of God. We begin to be students of the thoughts of God and, and what God is ultimately after. And I, I really believe that. And the more we begin to comprehend His heart and His mind, not just pursuing the hand, just an action, but we begin to understand His heart and His thoughts behind what He's trying to do, we can cooperate to a greater level. We can learn to get into position in a greater way. And God using us in a, ultimately then in a way that displays His power and His glory. 
I believe that God's name is needing to be vindicated. I'm going to make that statement again. God's name in every generation has to be vindicated. And the way God honors and vindicates His own name is through His people, but His people being a, a demonstration of His power. There's no other way that the name of God is vindicated unless His people are willing to yield themselves to Him and there is this exhibition of His power through them. That it is undeniable that God is God and there is no other way this could have been done except through His power and through His ability. Now I want us to read in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul begins to talk about the manifestations of the Spirit. And in verse 4, he said this, There are different kinds of gifts or graces, empowerments, enablements, but the same Spirit. And there are different kinds of service or ministry, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. Can everybody say working with me? And I want you to see that. There is different ways in which the manifestation of the Spirit occurs, but... Uh, and I'm skipping ahead of where I wanted to go, but we will, without me just reading the laundry list of the nine manifestations of the Spirit, one of them that is mentioned is the working of miracles. Now, in my translation in the NIV, it just says the gift of miraculous powers. But in the Greek, the King James and the New King James is more of an accurate interpretation because it's not just a grace of miraculous power. It is the ability to work miracles. And so what I say is that I think that if we want to be miracle workers, we need to learn to work miracles. In other words, there is a process involved that culminates in something where everybody says together, it's a miracle. But I found out this, miracles may have a definitive moment in which it's a culminating event and everybody stands there in awe and wonder of that sign or that miracle, but miracles most of the time are a process where they are worked. And sometimes it's years in which God is working the miracle. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's days, and sometimes it may be just minutes. But I found this, God is one in which he begins to lay a foundation for even a miracle to occur. And what we like to do is we like to be around when the moment, the culminating moment happens and we go, wow, that was a miracle but we do not see that maybe that moment occurred because God called a child when they were young into an engagement and a partnership with him, took them on a journey to prepare them, position them, develop them into a partner for that day. Because God, who knows everything from beginning to end, 
looks into the future and says, this is my purpose, this is what I'm going to do, and that miracle is going to be catalytic to break open, open my purpose in that city or in that region or in that church or, or with these group of people. So I'm going to bring them to this place, but I'm going to call a child and begin to develop them so that moment of that miracle will not be missed. But nobody acknowledges or sometimes can perceive what God is doing ahead of time. And this is what I want to challenge us to do. We've got to be people that begin to see the behind-the-scenes activity of God where God begins to create platforms for miracles to occur. Some of you right now in this room or back there in the back with the children, God is preparing them to be workers of miracles. And some of you right now, you are in the grip of God and you feel like God is turning you inside out. And you go, why God? Why am I going through such a process in my life? Because God is trying to get you into position. And what we do is we end up resisting and we end up fighting and we end up you know, trying to run many times from God who is only trying to get you in that place where he can use you. And so it says that the working, the manifestations of the Spirit, he said there are different kinds of working, but it's the same God who works all of them in all men. So God is at work and he's, he's working and it's a process. And then like I made reference to you in verse 10 he talks about one of the manifestations being the working of miracles and so i just say right now holy spirit would you teach us to become workers that learn how to work miracles now i want you to turn with me to the book of judges the book of judges and we're going to go to Judges 6. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Gideon. And I could have used a number of people in the scripture, but I think Nehemiah is a great case study too. And I like to use Nehemiah in preaching about miracles too, because if you would say you're going to select a subject about a miracle worker, normally we would not have put Nehemiah at the top of the list. We would have said Moses, Elijah, Jesus. But how many of you believe that there was no notable, you know, supernatural? And I think that's a point. Many times we always think that miracles have to be something that are spectacular. And that's why we're missing a lot of them. They're all supernatural, but they're not all spectacular. And here was Nehemiah who worked through a process with God and worked a miracle. Now, I selected Gideon today because I believe that there was a miraculous and it was a spectacular result. And we love miracles that are spectacular. How many of you love that they're spectacular? And Gideon was one of those guys that did something spectacular. But before I read this text, and we're going to read Judges 6, 33 through 34, I want to make one other just comment to preface before we read the text. 
God obviously wants us to know his ways, his thoughts, his heart. And a part of that process is to begin to grow in our understanding of his personality. Because it's not just, you know, let me know a thought. There's, there's always, whenever you get to know somebody, you just don't know their mind or you just know them emotionally or you know them physically. It's always, you know, a combination of all. Their thoughts, their emotions, their personality, everything that makes up their personality. And I think that sometimes, as, we, as I just encourage you to begin to press in, to know God's heart, you know, I don't want it to be an approach of like being an analyst. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to dissect this thought of God. No, take it in the, the whole of who he is. Because one thing you're going to find about God, and it, it, to be a worker of miracles, I believe this. You have to know that God is a warrior poet. He loves to fight, and he loves to be a rescuer and a savior and a deliverer, and he likes to do mighty deeds and mighty acts. I mean, he loves to take center stage. How, have you found that out about God? I mean, he, he just has created a plan in which he is going to star in that, that thing. And what he does is he creates moments where the tension builds. And, and you know, we, get, we think about drama and we think about movies and plays and acting and all that. And we just think that all that was a creative process of man. To come up with the play or the, you know, acting and build drama and all that. Where do you think all that came from? Matter of fact, and I, I wish I would have brought it today, but because I didn't know I was going to share on this this morning, I didn't prepare. If any of you guys have watched the DVD, the Bethlehem Star that came out a few uh, years ago, anybody see that DVD? And it was about this guy who started this journey in, he was teaching a discipleship class, and it talked about the wise men that followed the star and he began to go, I want to scientifically begin to look into this. And, and he began to study. And, of course, if, if you know this, they have software now where you can actually look at the sky based upon the stars, all, what they look like all the way back to the time of Jesus' birth. And so the Bethlehem star is this guy takes you back and he shows you what they were seeing up to that culminating moment at the time of Jesus' birth. And so it's great science and it's great, you know, astronomy and it, it proves the validity and the trustworthiness of Scripture that there was something that they followed and that led them to Bethlehem. And so it's encouraging. But then there's this little addendum at the end. And the Bible says that the earth was darkened when Jesus was crucified. And it said that it was dark for so many hours. And you go back and, you know, he tried to do all these dates and he found this window uh, that was chronicled right along with the scripture and when they said Jesus was crucified. And there was a lunar eclipse in the day that Jesus died where the earth was darkened. 
And so he goes, this is so wonderful, you know, because, again, it shows the trustworthiness of Scripture and how accurate the Word of God is. And he goes, but I just had a thought enter into my mind. I would like to see what earth and what the heavens look like, not from earth's perspective out, but from outside looking in. And I tell you what, I love the Bethlehem story and I love the stars with the wise men. But when I watched that little segment, it showed me that God, the personality of the God that we serve. And what it was, was from outside looking to earth, guess what? Within the constellation of the ram, the earth was right at the heart of the lamb. And the moment Jesus died, the moon, or excuse me, it was the sun. There was an eclipse of the sun where the heart, the sun inside the ram, grew dark. Now, you don't think God is a poet? The Bible says even the heavens keep on telling the story of the glory of God. I tell you what, even the stars in the heavens have been intricately thought about and created to unfold a drama of human history. And when I saw this outline of the constellation of the ram and the sun glowing, burning bright right at the heart of the ram, and then you see the moon come and eclipse it and darken it at the moment where Jesus said, into my hands, I commend your spirit. I begin to understand that the God that we serve is so poetic, so dramatic. And you go, well, what was that for? I believe every angel in heaven. I believe every saint that had died before. I believe everybody could see the majesty of the drama unfolding as it was occurring on earth. And so God is this warrior. He's a mighty miracle worker but he does it with a poetry in mind. And you know what? Guess what the poetry is? The poetry is you. The verses that will testify of his glory are you. You are the verses in the poetry of God. And we've got to get that. You are the verses. You are the words in the poetry of God. The choreography of God. You are the choreography of God. In how he's wanting to choreograph certain miracles. The movements are the ones that he's wanting to do in you. And so that's why many times we go, God, why aren't you doing something? And he's saying, when will you allow me to take you? And make you the end of my pen. And allow the verses of my glory to be written through you. Why don't you allow me to teach you the steps of the dance. So that you can be a part of my divine choreography. Because it's not just about, again, the culminating moment. It is about it developing the storyline. Of my glory and of my purpose. And so you and I have been written into the story of God.
I hope you get that. Where you were born, the family that you were born to, the city that you live in right now, and some of you are so desperate to get out of the circumstances that you're in. You don't understand that God has pre-written those things and He's wanting you to follow the script. Because in His mind, He's cast you in a role in which you're going to be a co-star with God. And you think that, well, you know, what, what significance is there? In where I live and where I was born, the family that I was connected to and the relationships that I have now. Don't you minimize the wisdom of God and idolize your own thoughts to think that you know more than he does. Now, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to use humor, but I'm going to I'm going to state the absurd to illustrate truth. And make some spiritual points this morning but one of the things that i want us to read about gideon in judges 334 and a lot of people just focus on 611 where he says you know the lord encounters this guy who's obviously hiding and he's in a place of vulnerability and the lord says you're a mighty man of valor you're a mighty warrior and there is a paradox there in that moment of his life where he is actually hiding and he's not being very courageous but really the children of Israel in that moment and era they were victimized and they were being victimized repeatedly and often and it had changed their lifestyle from being a people that could live confidently live comfortably you know pursue God and as a nation and a people of God. And of course, they were in that place because of a cycle of sin and judgment that was upon the land. But God wanted to change the script. And so God comes to him through the angel of the Lord. And he said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Judges 6.11. And he says, you know, really? Who, me? But I want us to go more closely and go beyond that passage. Let's look at Judges 6, 12. And again, we're looking for patterns, patterns for the working of miracles. And God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But listen at what he says in verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why... Has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. You would think that if God was going to select someone in which he was going to make into a mighty warrior and do a miracle, you would think that he would have someone that had optimum faith in what God was doing. Absolutely. That he had maintained a good positive attitude 
and that in spite of the negativity around him and the circumstances, you know, he, he was, you know, he was, he was still dressing for success and he was maintaining a, a good thought life, you know, and that he had a good worldview, a good positive perspective. But when the angel of the Lord encounters him and he said, guess what? You're a mighty man of war. He doesn't even say, we like to teach it. And I've even taught it in the past that it was like, see, God saw his prophetic potential. And later on, he begins to make excuses of why he can't be that for God. But the first thing that he gets into with the angel is not this thing of inadequacy. He gets into this thing of expressing all of his doubts and unbelief. Not on what God said about him, but in the one that was calling him. Now, one of the things that I say that when God casts somebody in a role for the miraculous, he will always cho choose the right personality. Okay? We're going to talk about right personality, right position, and right participation. Those are the three points today. And if we don't get to all three of them, that's fine. But the first thing we want to talk about is God selecting the right personality. Then he selects and gets them into the right position. And then he gets them into a place where they will rightly participate with him. So it's right personality, right position, right participation. God does not think like us. And Isaiah confirmed that, saying his thoughts are high above our thoughts. So why would God select a personality that immediately had not just, I think, doubts? Would you say that this was a category of unbelief? One of the things that I've tried to look at the patterns of the miraculous is that God will not pick someone that has the right skill set and gift mix to do what you think they were made to do. And I know that's counterintuitive. I know that's counterintuitive because you would think, you know, we teach, you know, you got to find out what your shape is and you got to find out what your gift mix is and you got to find out, you know, what God's made you to do. And so we do all these inventories and tests and we come up with all types of grids that we can say, this is what you would naturally or even supernaturally be capable of doing. And I believe that there is wisdom in that. And I've gone through that and I encourage people to go through that. But this is what I find. I find that God many times will take who you are and he will place you in a context that is the exact opposite of how you feel your shape. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul was a scholar, a Jewish scholar, a rabbi, in which in his own statements about his credentials, he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. So if I'm trying to find a place that is going to be a good fit for Paul in preaching and being an apostle in the New Testament, where am I going to send him to be an apostle to? 
when it comes to this discussion about Peter and his apostleship and Paul and his apostleship, I'm going to say, let's swap these guys out. <clears throat> because I think that Paul, with his knowledge of Jewish religion and culture, and he has the mindset of a Pharisee, surely we should send him as an apostle to the Jews. Because he'll be a natural fit. And he likes to wear the outfit. And I'm sure that after being cultivated in, in rabbinical schools, he had all the nuances down of what it looked like to be the perfect Jewish rabbi. And God says, hmm. Okay, Paul. Pharisee of the Pharisee, rabbi of rabbi. You know, someone that has been so zealous for the Jewish law. Let me send you into a culture where they disobey everything that you've ever been taught. You've been scrupulous in your conscience where you've not defiled yourself with anything unclean because you, I mean, you're a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Every little bit of dietary law you have kept since childhood. You don't go into Gentiles. You, I mean, you, you're getting near them and you go the other way. I'm going to put you in a context where you're right in the middle of their feast. And I'm going to make sure they grill pork chops at the fellowship dinner. Can you imagine how stretching that was for him at first? And then you go, well, what about, you know, Peter, he was a Jew. Yeah, but Peter was one of these guys that didn't attend Sabbath school very often. Yeah, Eric said he was kind of like a Jewish redneck. You know, he was the guy go, all right, you guys go on to Sabbath school. Boys, we're going to go fishing. He was unlearned. He was uneducated. More than likely, there was a point in time where Peter started ministry where he was illiterate and could not, if he was asked to read in the synagogue the scrolls, he could not get up and participate because he couldn't read the scriptures because he was an illiterate man. Can you imagine? And it did rub the Pharisees the wrong way. It did rub the Sanhedrin the, the, the wrong way because when they were taking note at their boldness and the power and the authority of the gospel, they said, aren't these all men all Galileans? Aren't they unlearned and uneducated men? And God says, I'm writing a drama here. I'm going to mess with their minds. But after Peter gets done preaching, the thing that they are going to testify about him is not how well-educated and well-versed Peter was. This is a real surprise. I didn't know they had a good rabbinical school in Galilee where he was from. No, it said they had taken note that he had been with Jesus. Now, how do you culturally converse being a a very narrow Pharisee of the Pharisee and you're thrust out into the Roman world and you're in Roman culture and you know that to even cross-culturally connect with Gentiles. Your, your social network has been so small. All that you know how to do is talk to people about Jewish things. 
And so Paul, when he comes down to Corinth, he says, I want you to know I came into that city and Corinth was known as the, you know, kind of the San Francisco of its day. It's filled with immorality. It was something that gives a Jewish boy the creeps. Thousands of prostitutes that the way they offer sacrifice to their God is having sex, open sex on altars. Having orgies. And this guy is there in this city. And I'm sure it's just cause, causing his skin to crawl because he is a man who knows the law. And the law of God reveals the holiness of God. And so how do you switch over and say, God God, break me to where I can have compassion on them because I would love to just get up and speak not the grace of God, but the law of God to them. But the Bible tells us that Paul said, I came down to Corinth and I had anxiety from without and I had anxieties within. And he said, so at that moment, I said that I would not lean upon anything but the demonstration of the power of of the Spirit. Paul was saying, well, this year at, at rabbi school is not going to work. That sermon series is not going to work. That, that big series I developed on the law is not going to work. And so he goes there and he says, I have no confidence right now. There, there are issues on the inside of me. I say the mission. And he, he makes these statements in Corinth. He said, who is sufficient for these things? God, I'm a broken man. And that's why in Philippians he said, the things that I thought would be gained to me, I had to delete them and say, not wasted years, but this skill set is not going to work for the mission that God has equipped me for. And he said, so I had to reach for something else. And it was the prize of the call in Christ Jesus that I had to reach towards. And so many times what we do, and you, you say, well, what point are you trying to make? Many times in our life, we try to find the role because we look at the different members of the cast, and we go, who has the, the fewest lines? Who has the one that the only thing they'll say in the whole drama is, can, you know, can I have my latte? We were seeing something last night, and this girl was celebrating as an actress. She finally got one part, and she was telling her mom on the phone, he goes, well, what's your line? Uh, can I have my latte? You know, but she was excited that she got one line. Some of you, though, look for the part where there's the fewest words that have to be spoken. I'm just, I'm not very verbal. That's not me. Or we look for the thing that I, I don't want to be in a primary role. And you stay hidden. It's counterintuitive, but God says to you today, stop limiting yourself based upon your personality. I'm going to wait for a resounding amen. Stop limiting what God wants to do through you by the limitations of your personality. And so Gideon, you know, makes this statement. He goes, I don't believe in God's power. I heard that God was a miracle working God and he brought him out of Egypt, but I've not seen it 
I've not seen it around here for a long time. And matter of fact, I think God has abandoned us. A matter of fact, he's let us down. He did that for my forefathers, but he hasn't done a thing for us today. Look at our condition. He is, he is the one who gave us over to the Midianites. <laughs> he's writing his own script here. It's true. But I find that God even takes the questions that we have, and if you will bear with me, God even will allow us to have those questions so that he can be the answer to them. Matter of fact, the questions that we have many times are the invitation of God to create a desperation within us. Now, he could have complained about many other things. But you notice where his accusation and his question was? It was about the power of God. And some of you have said, well, I've had some real questions with God, about God, about his behavior, about what he's doing. And I'm going to say this. Sometimes those questions are an invitation for you, for God to reveal himself to you in that way to answer that question. And if there is something in my own life and you go, Lynn, do you think God is going to use you to do miracles? I say I was born to do miracles. Because ever since I was a child, there was always this question of God, why aren't you doing today what you did in days of old? Even to a point where I want to say, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Where I say, I don't want to even look at it anymore. Because like Gideon, I, I've been saying, okay, I've done everything that I know to do to study it, to look at it, and, and I just go, people start saying, well, I want to talk to you about that. It's like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Tired of talking about it? It's time that we see it. And God says, why weren't you willing to be there five years ago? Ten years ago, because that is the place of the desperation that I had to move you towards. Where you go, I'm dissatisfied with just talking about it. I'm now dissatisfied with the absence of it. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to see it. Now, I've got to close and I've got to quit. And I didn't get where I wanted to today. But I want to just say this to us. In Judges, and let's look at one verse, and I may take five minutes more, forgive me. But look at Judges 6, 33 through 34. Because this is just an interesting point as we look at God using personalities that don't fit the mold to be used in that way. In Judges 6, 33... You know, God's encouraging Gideon on this journey to become this mighty warrior that he's cast him in the role to become. But he says this in verse 33, he says, Now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, other, other eastern peoples joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Look at verse 34 carefully with me. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summon, summoning the Abyssalites 
to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, also into Asher, Zebulon, Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. In verse 34, when it uses the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Very interesting Hebrew structure here. And probably the safest way to express what is written in the Hebrew is just what it's translated in the English here. It's kind of like the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Did you know what the scripture in the Hebrew actually intimates? That it wasn't the Spirit of God coming upon Gideon. It was God taking Gideon and clothing himself with him. Do you get the difference? One is God coming upon somebody, but it is the other one intimates that God takes Gideon and, and God says, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to break the power of the Midianites. But I'm going to take you, Gideon, and I'm going to put you on just like I would put on a garment. And I'm going to be on the inside of you. And on the outside, it's going to look like Gideon. But I'm going to get up on the inside of you and I'm going to wear you like a robe. And I believe that fits more of a context because I've always found that God loves to do miracles by first coming in stealth. Because he's a poet. He wants the drama to build. He really does want to overthrow the wisdom of the wise. You know, it goes back to that thought in Scripture where it says... Had the princes of the ages known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But he took them by stealth. The demon spirits as Jesus is walking around as what? God manifested in the flesh. It was the flesh of Jesus, but in him dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That God clothed himself with Jesus. And when the demon spirits saw, they recognized him and they said, why are you here before your time? They couldn't, it messed with their minds because they knew that he was coming back to earth. That had been prophesied that the Lord is coming with 10,000s of his holy ones. But now wait a minute, why are you on the earth and why do you look the way you do now? Why are you here? Bill Branham made this statement. He said, the thing that God brought me to, to work miracles, was he said in every meeting, there was a moment in which I sense that God wanted to step in and I had to step aside. They asked him, they said, what was the key to the success of you doing miracles? He said, I had to learn when he wanted to step in, I had to step aside. How many of us want to be warned by God? Where he goes, the wardrobe that I select today, is I'm going to try Jesse on. And I'm going to wear him. And I'm going to animate him. And I'm going to demonstrate myself through him. I'm going to reveal myself. 
but we're a part of God's wardrobe. Now, we like the idea of God, let your spirit come on me. But I like the other idea where instead of him just coming on me temporarily, I learned to step aside and say, come in me. And wear me, God, to where you can do what you fully want to do. The other one has this thing of where it's kind of a temporary thing. Come on, lift off. Come on, lift off. God wants to wear us. Now I'm going to stop because I said I would, and I don't want to lie to you, lest I have to confess to you that as a preacher I'm a liar as well, and I don't want to do that. Let's stand. Again, in another time, we'll talk about the right position and the right participation. And we'll trust that God gives an opportunity to talk about that some other time. But let's just talk about you and the Lord right now. And God, we believe that you made everyone here. You gave everyone their personality and their skill set and talents. But God, we just say we want to lay it all down. Help me, God, not to say this is the only way based upon my strengths that you can use me. Based upon this talent, even this gift that you have given me, that I say this is the way that you will use me. God, we give our gifts back to you. We give our strengths back to you. We present ourselves to you and say, God, here we are. And in your wisdom, God, we're willing to say, we will allow you to place us. Even if it makes me feel uncomfortable of the way I've trained myself, made myself, developed myself. We just say we're yours. And God, I pray that we would just be willing to allow you to go to your wardrobe, which is your people, and to try us on. Would you do that, God? God, I say to you today that I want you to clothe yourself with me. God, I pray for that for the church at New Covenant. Would you clothe yourself with them God I believe there is a destiny of this church that has been destined from the foundations of the world to have notable miracles and there's been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that is confirmed and affirmed and verified and re-verified a part of the, the spiritual destiny of this church God, get us into a place 
where we can allow you to use us to do what you have choreographed and what you have scripted and what you have planned even before we were born. And I ask you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Father, for those that are going through the processes now where God is trying to get them away from what they are comfortable in and with and you're, you're, you're discomforting them right now and they want to run or they want to say no and they're wrestling with you. God, I pray that they would see what you're trying to do. You're not trying to set them up to fail. You're trying to set them up to where you can be God in them and God through them. And so we ask that insight and revelation can come. I pray, God, that there would be a revelatory insight concerning the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that we could understand your heart and your personality behind what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, more and more, I just hear you calling your church to a place of sweet surrender. And so everything that we are, everything that we've longed to become, God, we place it in your hands. And we say we're yours. Do it through us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Be blessed today and allow God to do what he wants to do through you. Amen.